Well, it's interesting what you can see out driving around in our country these days. You've got to have your wits about you. Uh, this summer, we had the privilege. We were driving across Sanibel Island and uh, saw this sign. Now, the choir can't see this, so let me describe it. It's a large yellow sign, and there's an outline of an owl. Oh, you can see it now, and it says, uh, Low-Flying Owls. The next two miles, which brings up a lot of questions, doesn't it? Like, are these owls so well fed that they just can't get off the ground? Is this the problem? And why just those two miles? Why just there do they have such awkwardly flying birds? What's really going on? It is interesting what you can see out there. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're almost to the end. And Jesus gives us some warning signs. Watch out. Be careful. You've got to have your wits about you. We're in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who behave lawlessly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Oh, let's take a deep breath as Jesus shares with us now three warning signs for us to consider today. The first one about the narrow gate, the second one about false prophets, and the third one, oh, people, us, perhaps, begin by saying, Lord, Lord, so let's talk about the narrow gate, the old city of Jerusalem. The wall around the city was filled with gates. You can still go there today, and, and there are still many of the gates that were there in the ancient wall, and some of them are big enough and wide enough that you can drive an automobile through them, and some of them are narrow enough and steep enough. You have to walk upstairs, and you have to walk through that. You can take a few animals with you or a very small cart pulling it awkwardly. To enter this gate that Jesus says to those people as they've been sitting there listening, thinking, considering, 
To enter that gate requires intentionality. Just to go with the flow, just to go as the crowd is going, just to be carried along with them, it's so easy to go past that narrow gate. It's so easy to miss it. It's so easy to not even know that it is there. And here, as the Sermon on the Mount is ending, Jesus calls on the hearers to think, to consider, perhaps to reconsider the big picture. Choices matter. Actions matter. Motives matter. Following Jesus, experiencing God as Father matters, and he makes it clear we're talking about now and we're talking about eternal things as well. Heaven, a phrase that appears often in Mark's gospel, heaven is the way of talking about God's dimension, where, where God's reality is, where God's will is done. And Jesus declares to them, wait a minute, the kingdom of heaven is here now. You have an opportunity now in your lives, now in your struggle, now wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. Think about where they were in the first century and what they're experiencing. You have the opportunity now to experience this dimension of God's presence and God's love and God's power and it's also more than that it is the presence of the future and the people of God are given a choice haven't they always been it's not the first time we've seen someone speak for God standing on a mountainside and Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the words of the Lord and comes down and delivers them to the people they're standing on the side of Mount Sinai Exodus chapter 24, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything, everything the Lord has said we will do. We have a choice. Two words sometimes that are tossed around when we start talking about Christianity and theology. One, orthodoxy, which means to think the right things, to believe the right things, and then orthopraxy, to do the right things, to behave the right way. And I saw an interesting cartoon that described it this way, orthodoxy, thinking the right thing, but not having orthopraxy, not doing the right thing, that's just hypocrisy. And Jesus has already warned us about that. And it's tempting to do one without the other and Jesus makes it very clear if you're going to be my followers if you're going to be my students if you're going to be my if you're going to learn from me it requires thinking the right way but it also requires living and doing the right thing first warning the narrow gate the second one is about the false prophets not the first time in scripture we've heard about false prophets in ancient Israel. False prophets claim to be speaking the words of Yahweh, to be delivering the will of Yahweh to the people. And the danger is that if you listen to them, if you follow them, you're going to go to the wrong gate. You're going to miss the narrow gate. You're going to miss that way. The challenge is that false prophets always sound so good because false prophets have a way of describing God the way we want God to be. 
not necessarily the way God is. False prophets have this way of describing this is what God's going to do, and it turns out it describes the things we want God to do, but it's not always the things God is going to do. So in the Old Testament, the test was very simple. This is the test that was clearly established over and over again as you read through passages in the Old Testament about the prophets. Just wait. Just wait and see. If what the prophet said God was going to do, if what the prophet said, this is what's going to happen and I'm speaking for Yahweh, if it happens, all right, it's fine. If it doesn't happen, well, now you know that was a false prophet. And you see this conflict a lot in the Old Testament. It's almost, uh, it almost becomes this pattern as it plays out. There's this wonderful passage in Jeremiah where the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, I need you to deliver this message to the people about what's going to happen, about Nebuchadnezzar, about they, have not, they are not listening, they are not listening, the people of God are not listening, even though they said they would which kind of reminds us of us. And, and it's, they're not listening. And so this is what I want you to do, Jeremiah. I want you to put a wooden yoke, like an oxen wear. I want you to put a wooden yoke on your neck, and I want you to go and deliver this message about what's coming in their future, about the yoke that's going to be placed on their necks, about how they're going to become slaves and carried off into another land, about the people that they think are their enemies are indeed their enemies, and I'm going to allow them to overrun you. There's another prophet, his name's Hananiah, who says, that's not what's going to happen. I'm going to speak for Yahweh, and this is what's going to happen, that within two years, God is going to set you free. Within two years, everything that Nebuchadnezzar has carried off from the treasury is going to be brought back in full and given back to the people. And he takes the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and in front of everyone breaks it. And Jeremiah says, I wish. Oh, how I wish it was true. But it's not. And it did not go well for Hananiah. The early church struggles with this after the time of Jesus, after the Gospels are written. After, so there's this document. You've heard me talk about this before, the Didache. This is an early Christian document uh, that, that's not, it, it does not make it into the New Testament. Uh, it, it's, it's not used as scripture, but it gives this, this incredible window into second and third century Christianity, in particular second Christianity. Christi second century Christianity. It's called the Didache, and it means the teaching. We get the word didactic from it, and it's, it, it, it supposedly goes back to the teaching of the 12 uh, disciples. And there's this passage about apostles and prophets. So it's just the teaching. This is what you should do as followers of Jesus. And, and, and here's, here's uh, some lines out of it. And concerning the apostles and prophets, act thus according to the ordinance of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord, but let him not stay more than one day. En enough, well, enough of those traveling preachers. Okay. I find that to be very funny. Or, or if needed, be a second day as well, but if he stays three days, he is a false prophet. That's a very different test than what we have in the Old Testament. We're going to give this guy one day, maybe two at the most, but if he's going to stay three, uh, no, he's not telling the truth. If he stays three days, he's a false prophet. And when an apostle goes forth, let him accept nothing but bread until he reach his night's lodging. That kind of hurts. But if he asks for money... He is a false prophet. 
Yeah, they are drawing some real boundaries along the way. And Jesus goes, there's another way. It's a better way. There certainly is a quicker way to decide, and that is, look at the life of this person. What's really being produced by their life? And he quickly uses the image of a tree and the fruit that it produces. When you look at these people, do you see healthy fruit? Do you see other people around him or her being nourished? Do you see healthy fruit or is it a harvest of greed and immorality and lies and self-service? It's a good self-test for us too. When people look at your life, people look at my life, what's really being produced? What's, what's the message that they not only hear but see? Not just orthodoxy saying the right things. What's, what's really being practiced? How are strangers treated? How are enemies treated? How is family treated? Co-workers? What's really important in that person's life? What does their calendar say about them? What does their bank account say about them? their actions really say about you, about me. Be careful. We have to have our wits about us. The gate's easy to miss. It's so much easier to just kind of go with the flow. And, and there are people who are saying things that we like to hear, we want to hear, and it sounds really good, but that's not really the test. What follows in that person's life? And then the third warning that he gives to us. Lord, Lord. Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then an incredible, Lord, didn't, you, didn't, we, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out, weren't my, incredible things done in your name. And those words so simple and cutting. I never knew you. There's no relationship here. Something's missing. Every business wants its product to be the most used, you know, the, the most prescribed, the most popular. It's, it's, it's preferred nine out of ten dentists surveyed. You know what I'm talking about. That, that's the one. Because, well, millions of people just can't be wrong. And in our culture, popularity is interpreted as success, legitimacy. And Jesus just throws it out. He rejects in this moment popularity as any kind of a test or any kind of a standard. It can't be about how many people are following or how many people. It's about the product, the end, what's really being produced in this person's life. No wonder we're confused by it because it's not the message that we're getting, nor is it often the message that we're even following as we're deciding what we're going to do with our time and how we're going to spend our money as well. So Jesus doesn't focus on popularity. He doesn't focus on numbers. He focuses on faithfulness, not effectiveness. And that's one of the places that just clashes 
with our culture. We're going to have to wrestle with that. We're going to have to wrestle with that as we evaluate what ministries are effective and what ministries are important. How are these lining up with who Jesus is and what Jesus did? Are we presenting to people the God who really is or merely the God that they want to hear or experience? But here's some words of encouragement in this as well. As Jesus calls people down this narrow, hard path, as Jesus calls people to this narrow gate, as Jesus warns people just because it's popular, just because they have large numbers, that's not necessarily, that's not the test. It's about what's being produced. As Jesus redirects this movement and calls it the kingdom of God, he does not call us to isolation. The gate may be narrow. He never calls us to be alone. He never calls us to spiritual privacy. The call of Jesus is always a call to community. Always a call to community. And maybe that's another place this morning that we need to stop and take a look at our lives. How are we engaged in community. It's risky, you know. It's, it's risky to decide I, I need to become a part of a smaller group and really get to know people. I, I need to become a part of people's lives and decide how I can help and how I can engage. Think about that list as you start reading through the Gospels in the book of Acts. Fishermen, and Pharisees, and tax collectors, women, men, Children, political dissidents, a Roman soldier or two thrown in for good, all to form a community. All with different experiences, different backgrounds, different languages, and all called to be part of this community. This is how we should live. This is how we discover this relationship with who God really is. He won't even send them out alone, but sends them out in pairs. Many of you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Several years ago, we went through a book about the study of his life, that incredible Lutheran pastor who was calling on people to stop listening to false prophets. The church going its way, the church going along with the flow, the church giving in to nationalism and to the message of Hitler and a few lone voices saying no, no. We cannot do that, Dietrich Bonhoeffer being one of those pastors saying that. About this path, he says, as long as I recognize this road as the one I'm commanded to walk and try to walk it in fear of myself, it is truly impossible. But if I see Jesus Christ walking ahead of me step by step, if I look only at him and follow him step by step, then I will be protected on this path. On that day, Jesus said, many will come. That's the first time we have that phrase in Matthew's gospel. It will not be the last time we have that phrase in Matthew's gospel. And it's a phrase that Jesus takes from the Old Testament. On that day. Sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? Jesus intends it to. It's certainly the way that it's used. The day of the Lord. The day of judgment. Some will have done remarkable things. Mighty deeds, they said. 
casting out demons, they said. Prophesying, speaking for God, they said. Great accomplishments. And these words are a warning to us all. What really counts? What's really important? Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has focused on character, not accomplishments. And and we are so focused on success and numbers. We like it. We like being a part of a winning group. We like being part of the largest group. We... Jesus is saying, wait a minute. Effective leaders aren't necessarily godly leaders. Jesus is focused on anger and love and lust and generosity and hypocrisy, honesty, anxiety, peace. It's possible to be a part It's possible to be a leader of a very effective ministry and not even know Jesus. Not look like Jesus. Not sound like Jesus. Not respond like Jesus. We weren't too many weeks into this Jesus 365 thing and one of our church members came up to me I still love the question, and I hope next week to answer it for you in more detail. He just got to the bottom line, and he said, what are you asking us to do? I want to change it to who am I asking you to be? But today's text also says it's not just about being, it's about doing. It's not just about believing, it's about acting. It is tough to be balanced in our lives. And this whole year, this whole process has been a part of encouraging us, guiding us, asking all of us, where is Jesus in my life? Really? When it comes down to it, it has to be more than heaven or hell. Or Jesus would have focused on that a lot more. It it has to be more than walking the aisle. What does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It is about the future. There's more to this life having those conversations with people every week whose lives are coming to an end. Oh, it's, it's about more than here, but it also is about here. It, it's, it's about my family. It's about my relationships. It's about what I'm doing with my life. It's about how I'm living my life. It's, it's about whether I'm at peace or not. What am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to join me on this journey and asking, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And how am I doing that? So we can't try to do it all at once. So how about this? This week, 
What's one way, this week, one way you follow Jesus? One way. Well, anyone else knows about it, anyone else notices. What's one thing that changes in your life? How you respond to that person who cuts you off on the road. Uh, slow down, there are low-flying owls out there. Uh, how you respond to someone in need. Uh, if you take the time to listen and really listen at work or at school when you ask someone, how are you today? Have you taken some time out of that schedule of producing to just be in the presence of God? Are you seeking God's will as you're planning and making those decisions about the future? Decisions you'll make about business or about school or about family or the list just goes on and on. I'm not asking you to do all that this week. I'm asking you to do one. Choose one place. And this week, I'm going to lean into the model Jesus has given for us. This is what it means to be the people of God. And then watch and see what God does. Watch and see who God brings into your life. Watch for those opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Watch for those opportunities to love and share. Watch for those opportunities where you grow yourself. Become more like the person God has always dreamed of you being. Let's begin there as followers of Jesus and see where that road takes us. In just a moment, we're going to invite you to stand and to sing with us and we give you a chance to respond. Somewhere along the way this morning, a gentle prodding that you have felt, uh, like, ah, oh, that's, that's, that's a change I need to make. That's the direction I need to go. That's, that's an area where I'm struggling. I'm not quite sure I can do that on my own. How can we help you? How can we walk with you, whatever it is that you're facing? We want to know whether you come down during the invitation or whether you reach out to us sometime during the week or you stop one of our ministers or deacons. We're in this together. And we want to be a part of this incredible thing that God is doing. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on our community. Certainly God has not given up on our country. Let's be a part of it. So, Lord, we open up our hearts, and it's risky. We say yes. How do you want to use us? What do you want to change about us? What direction do you want to take us? And who do you want to bring into our lives that now we wrap our arms around and welcome them into our homes and our lives and Together, we celebrate life in you. Receive us, we pray. In Christ's name, we stand.